Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. And open up your Bibles to Psalms. 23, the worship was absolutely great this morning as our minds just reflected on Jesus, all that he's done and all that he means to you and me. Well, God's used David to help us in the last few weeks. Think about what kind of shepherd we have, and we've entitled this series that we'll be ending today, The Provider. The Provider. You, you've come to know him by many names in Psalm 23. Adonai, Jehovah, Rohi, my shepherd. We're going to get to know a little bit more about Jehovah Jireh this morning. The Lord will provide. I hope you've gotten to know him as Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Without righteousness, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is ready to provide you with his righteousness. And then, of course, Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. Let's look at Psalms 23 as I'm reading from the NIV this morning. The Lord, Jehovah is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, our soul. He guides us, he guides me. I like to use the plural since we're meeting together. He guides us in the past of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, shadow has no sting, no bite. It's a shadow. A shadow can't bite you. I or we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, who are enemies, the world, our flesh, and the demons. You anoint our head with oil. Our cup overflows as we sang this morning. Surely, goodness and love, in many translations it says, will pursue us. In this translation it says, will follow me, follow us all the days of our lives. And we, together, Victory Life Church, will dwell in the halls of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, amen. Now, I want you to look back at this as, by the way of introduction 
Some of these peas I came up with and some other peas others put on my plate. But it'll help you if you just jot this down, just bullet points. When you look at first one, it says, our shepherd, write down a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer, they're synonymous. And so these are the things that David is communicating to us that God will provide. So he'll be a pastor to you. Number two, in verse two, he says, he will pacify. If you're looking for another P, he will pacify us. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. In verse 3a, he will preserve, if you're looking for another P, he will preserve you. You see, he, he says, he restores. My soul means he will pilot you. Then in verse 5 that we'll be talking about this morning, it reads, you prepare a table. And so, of course, the Lord will provide. In that same verse, though, the Lord will also patch hurts when he anoints you with oil. And then finally, in verse 6, the Lord will perpetuate my pleasure. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your lives. We're going to get fixated, though, on verse 5. In the NIV, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the New Living Translation, it substitutes the word table. They're synonymous. It uses the word feast. The NLT reads, You prepare a feast for me. So I want you to be thinking about feast this morning. You prepare a table before me. You prepare a feast before me. And then in God's word, it reads, a banquet. You prepare a banquet for me in the presence of my enemies. Thus, the title of this morning's message is, A Feast for Every Occasion. A Feast for Every Occasion. You see, not long after David was anointed king, um, he began to face opposition. In fact, even when he was a little boy, he faced a lot of opposition as a shepherd boy out there in the country with snakes and gators and bears and lions. In fact, the scripture literally teaches us he slew a bear and a lion. And then as a young boy, he even faced a Goliath. And after he's anointed king, he, he faced a king that came after him for almost 15 years. This man knew about the valley of the shadow of death. And he's wanting to communicate to you and me through the power of the Holy Spirit that you and me have nothing to fear at all because God is with you. I know through experience he has walked with me through every single valley. Why do we fear? I am with you. Fear not. Boy, we need to yell and scream and holler and tell the devil to get that double hockey stick out of my life. I used hockey stick, okay? Well, he prepared a table regularly, a feast regularly, a meal regularly for David in his life, whether he deserved it or not. And we're going to find out exactly what some of those things are. And we'll be able to relate to that. 
You see, the concept of sharing a meal was a very intimate occurrence. In the culture at that time, eating together was an act of deep fellowship and friendship. You see, much of the world is finding something or trying to find something worth celebrating. And when people celebrate, guess what they usually celebrate with? Food. So I thought about this little picture up here, a very unusual feast. Look at this. This, wow, I'm looking at a feast and I'm thinking, you know what this is? This is Lotburi monkey from Thailand. So this is a, a big, giant feast. There's over 4,000 kilograms of fruit. Anybody put that in a computer? It's over eight, almost 9,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables and cakes and candies for the Meka monkey. You see, the festival first occurred in 1989, run by a local businessman who thought of this unique way to pay gratitude, so you guessed it, to monkeys. And also bring in tourism. Lucky for him and the monkeys, it worked. I'm thinking about, though, feasts. Get your mind on, literally, food and the banquet that God is and has prepared for you and me. Well, I want, first of all, to look at in David's life and then in our own lives that God has prepared and will prepare a feast for you when you sin or when you're thinking about sin. Let's go to David's life and think about exactly what I'm saying this morning. You see, while David was anointed king, Saul was chasing him around and tried to kill him. And so he really couldn't be stationed anywhere. So one time he's around Nabal and Abigail. And of course, all his men, there were about 400 men. He was getting men to uh, be a part of his entourage, his, his kingship that was about to be handed to him. By the way, I want to remind you that it was when David was anointed king, it was 15 years later that he began to become king of Hebron. And many more years later before he became king of all Israel. And I know many of us have prayers that we've lifted up to God. And you're saying, God, why don't you answer? Well, David was anointed king. Did he answer? Did he answer Samuel? I have anointed him king. You look at your physical eyes and say, well, he's not king. But Samuel knew he was king, God knew he was king, but the rest of the world didn't know he was king yet. And he had to wait for God to move in his life. Please wait upon the Lord for that request. Quit doubting God. Don't let the enemy tell you it's not going to come to pass. Whatever you have laid at his feet, whatever you've surrendered at his feet, it will come to pass. Especially for the child of God. Well, David's in the wilderness, and he's hungry. He has no food. So he sends some men to Nabal. He said, I know you're getting ready to celebrate. You see, we've been out in the fields. We've actually been a shield of protection around your sheep. They were shearing at this time and getting ready for some festivities. And David said, would you please send some food for my men so that we can eat? And uh, 
This was a very, very wicked man, the scripture uh, tells us about Nabal. And uh, who the heck is David? I'm going to give him some of my spread? <laughs> no way. And so the men came back with the report. David, David got in the flesh. Have you ever been in the flesh? I'm going to fix that guy. That guy had murder in his heart. Here he was, king of Israel. Here he is, a man after God's own heart. He told Samuel, quit looking at the size of a man. I look inside of a man, and when I look inside of David, I see a man after my own heart. You see, you can love Jesus and still need the word of God, still need correction, still need rebuking. But it doesn't mean you're not a child of God. David has hate in his heart. He's ready to go murder everyone surrounding Nabal. So they put, it, put on their swords and they get on their horses and they get in their little um, Teslas and they make their way in the deserts because they, you know, there's no gas stations there, but the battery works out there. Well, word gets to Abigail and uh, I'll pick up in 1 Samuel 18, excuse me, 1 Samuel 25 verses 18 through 19. Abigail wastes no time and she quickly gathers, no, she's married to this guy, 200 loaves of bread two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, and nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisin, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on the donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she did not tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. Then verse 32. After all this happened and she met David, David realized it clicked in his head what he was about to do. And here's how he replied. He said to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. God gave David, a feast in the middle of nowhere. His intentions were to offend God. His intentions was to wreak havoc upon Nabal and his family and his servants. I know there are many times that you've wanted to take vengeance in your own hands. And God has prevented you. You see, you and me need to go around thanking God for all the times that he actually prevented you from sinning because he loves you and for his own name's sake he prevented you from bringing disaster upon your life and your family and your children and you need to praise God continually for those times that he did that boy if he could only reveal it to you and me I could name quite a few times where I was bent on disaster the flesh was getting to me the demons were getting to me the world was getting to me and yet God prepared a way of escape. He will every time for you and me. Sometimes I wonder, God, why did you prepare the way of escape for David this time? But then when he committed adultery and murder, he didn't do it that time. Mm, that's food for thoughts. 
I remember a time in Scripture when Herod was at a feast, at a celebration. It went to his head. The entertainment went to his head. And because of that feast, he planned on sinning. And he did. And he followed through with it. Do you know who he killed? Do you know who he butchered? John the Baptist. God wants to prevent you from sinning. Right now, some of you could be sitting in the seat that you're in right now. And you're making plans right now. You have not surrendered. And you're making plans to sin against God and against his kingdom. Stop now and let God prepare a feast for you. I think of another time that David was in need, and I, I, I call this a feast prepared for adversity. Have any of you gone through any adversity this past week, this past month, this past year? And I think about how God wants to provide for you. And here, David, to help you with the story a little bit, to set the stage, David had already committed Adultery had already committed murder. Remember, he's a man after God's own heart. I, I share these things because I never want the believer to give up no matter what you've done. Now, hang in there a minute. There are some consequences. But never give up believing that you're a child of God. And so God said, because of what you did, your firstborn son is going to die. He did. And the sword will never leave your home. It did it. Remember when Absalom, a very handsome, long-haired hippie. Yeah, they had hippies back in that day. <laughs> he wanted to take away the kingdom, wrestle the kingdom away from his dad. So he would meet people at the city gate in Hebron where his dad first became king, and then he became king over all Israel. And he started telling the people, you know, be like Jacob. You know, my dad doesn't care for you, but I really care for you. That's what he was doing. I care for you more than dad does. And he wrestled away the kingdom from his dad. And so David had to flee his home, his kingdom, with about 400 men, strong, strong military men. He had nothing. And they were out there in the wilderness. Here's the wonderful good news. Even though David had committed sin, even though he deserved what was happening to him, he did not sin. That was Absalom that sinned. He would pay the consequence for his sin, Absalom, because he would later be killed. But God still loves his children, whether they fail in adversity or whether they succeed in adversity. God prepared a feast, a table, a meal of fellowship to meet his spiritual and physical needs in the middle of the desert. That's found in 2 Samuel. For sake of time, I'm going to skip all those fancy names so I don't mess up on one or butcher one of them. So we'll begin in verse 28. They brought sleeping mats cooking pots, serving bowls, wheat and barley, flour and roasted greens, beans, lentils, honey, butter, sheep, goats, and cheese for David and all those who were with him. 
For they said, you must all be hungry and tired and thirsty after your long march through the wilderness. I have found in my life, you know, some of you take this vow for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor. <laughs> That's our Lord. We're married to him. He's the groom. We're the bride. He said, I'm going to hang with you no matter what you've done wrong. You're my child. I will provide for you. I will give you a feast. I will take care of you. So please quit doubting the enemy. Oh, you don't know what I've done. Look what David did. You don't want to know all the things I've done, and I don't want to know all the things you've done. All I know is he's married to you, and he will provide for you in the adversity that you are going through, whether you are reaping the consequence of something you've done in your life. Remember, I said that. He still will love you. He still will provide for you, though. So quit walking around feeling, oh, no, I've done something so horrific. God's not going to take care of me. And Psalm 23 rebuffs and refutes that thinking. He will provide for you a feast in your adversity. I like this one, number three, a feast for when you have absolutely Nothing. Absolutely nothing. How many of us can remember, especially those of us who are older, in our teenage years and, and then in our 20s and in our 30s, wow, we wondered sometimes how we were going to make ends meet. And we had absolutely nothing. And we knew the Lord. You must remember, God said it's not going to be easy all your life. We know that from James. We know that from experience. Remember, Paul said, there have been many days that have been left out in the cold, many days that have been left naked, many days that have been beaten, many days that have been hungry. He is a child of God. He told us we will suffer adversity. He said we will go through trials and tribulations. So why are we astonished when those things happen to us? But he still will provide for you if you have absolutely nothing. And we have so many scriptures to turn to. What about Israel? The biggest picture any of us could ever have of God preparing for his people when they had absolutely nothing. And right there, camped in the middle of the wilderness with enemies all around them, God provides a feast for Israel, for his people. They weren't farming out there in the desert. They didn't have any water out in the desert. As far as I know, there were no trees or apple trees or pear trees or orange trees out there in the wilderness. And yet God, I remember duck calling in Arkansas, and all of a sudden the duck would come flying, I'd get out my shotgun, boom! <laughs> that was fun. That was a blast, seeing those birds come out of the air and, and then have some good old duck. I always tell people I'm from Detroit, the only thing we knew about killing was killing people. When I went to Arkansas, they killed animals. In the wilderness, they didn't have to kill anything. God brought them down. They just grabbed them out of the air. They reached up in the air and grabbed them in the air. I remember one time, first time I learned how to hunt, there was a bunch of geese up in the air. I mean, like in slingshot range. And I shot one out of the air and it fell down in front of me. What do I do now? And I took out my shotgun. Boom, pow, boom, pow, boom, pow. I, I mean, I literally did. I beat that doggone goose till he geese up his last breath. 
I didn't know what you're supposed to do. Wring his neck. I knew nothing about killing geese. It was just high enough so I didn't kill him, but I butchered him, his wings, and he fell down right in front of me. It's a true story. And her family's looking out the window going, whew, that's a Yankee? But God fed the people. Then they need bread. I mean, I grew up in a home where you had potatoes, salad, meat, and you always had bread. How many people raised that away? Your bread was what you pushed everything on your fork, not your finger, because you got slapped if you used your finger. You used bread. We had bread for everything. On Sunday morning, when we had six boys and a mom and dad, we'd go through two loaves of bread for breakfast. Because we had peanut butter and jelly, as well as the bread that dipped in the yolk. They needed bread in the wilderness. God provided it for them. It came out of heaven every day. They had no water. And Moses spoke and struck the rock on two different occasions. One was in disobedience. He suffered for that. He didn't get to go in the promised land, but God provided for all Israel in the presence of their enemies. God gives you and me these pictures so that we will understand. I don't care if you're just starting off in a marriage, you're a teenager, you don't know how you're going to provide, or perhaps you're in midstream of your life and things aren't going perfectly for you. God is your groom. He is your father. He is your provider. He has promised you he would take care of you. He said, I take care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Aren't you more important than these? He has proven to us over and over he will provide for you when you have nothing. And I could probably have 10, 20 testimonies standing up here telling you exactly what David, what God did for David and what God did for the Israelites. He will do for you. So if you're hurting this morning and you have nothing or you have very little, by the way, very little too, what about the 5,000 people that were fed with what? Five loaves and two fish? What about that? He's able to take your little and make it into a lot. I do want to say something, a pause, a side rabbit here. It's true, and I'm going to preach on it this fall in Malachi. If you do not give back to God what is God's, you could be suffering even though he wants to provide for you, but you won't give back to him what is his. And therefore, you're not getting all your needs met. It is an act of worship. It isn't what the church wants, the preacher wants. It's all God's. What you have, what I have, it's his. He can Ask for it back at any time. But be sure to give back to him. I believe it is David that said this and then someone else said this, that I've never seen the righteous begging for bread, but it goes further by some great men. I believe David said this somewhere that I've never seen or a giver begging for bread. That's for the young people, too, and for the older people here. God will provide for you just like he did. I mean, you may have so little. Remember the widow woman in Scripture? 
under Elijah's lifetime. He goes to her and says, listen, I- I'm hungry. And she goes, all, all I got is a piece of bread and some buttermilk, basically. And you want me to give it to you? I- I'm preparing to bake this bread and then my son and I are going to die. But because you said so, I'm going to do it. Remember, there was a, a drought at that time. God had put a whammy on, on King Ahab. And as long as there was a drought, she would go back to that same little bit of oil and that same little bit of flour, and she was able to make bread every single day for her, her son, and Elijah. You may have very little right now. This is not bogus preaching, family of God. This is the truth. I do not ever remember in my life needing food or having a roof over my head. And we've been to the very edge where it didn't look like we were going to be provided at all. And God provided. Jehovah Jireh provided. He is going to test you. He tested Israel. He tested David. He's going to test you. Believe in him that he wants to provide. Believe if you have nothing, he can make something out of nothing. He's the only one that can do that. Believe in him that he can take what you have and make it go a lot further than you've ever thought. Many of us go back to our, our, our bills at the end of the year and go, how in the world did I do what I did this year? We've all said that. How, how, how did it happen? We're astonished when we look back at the year not only of God providing, but being able to give back to God, we're astonished at what he did with so little. He wants to do that in your life. That's what Psalms 23 is about. David wants you to know that I've, I've journeyed through this life, and God has provided for me a feast, a meal, my bread and butter, no matter what circumstance, no matter what the occasion was. I remember one of my favorite preachers who... I like to listen to, read his books, George Mueller. Many of you know who, who George Mueller is. He lived in 1830 to 1870. He was an evangelist, and he was a director of Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And he had an orphanage. One of the things I love about this man, he wouldn't tell people what his needs were for that orphanage. And so throughout his life, of running that orphanage, he would get on his knees in prayer and he would seek God and say, God, here's what I need you to do. And he experienced God on a daily basis. Here's one of the stories he tells in his book. He said, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Miller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. Hmm, there's a man of faith. Nothing on the table. Kind of reminds me of the silly movie with Tinkerbell and uh, what's his name? Peter Pan. Remember the sitting at that table? And finally he does it. And he's the champion? Well, George Mueller was the champion. He sat at that, that table, and he believed God would provide. And within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, 
Last night, I, I could not sleep. Somehow, I knew you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon, there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk was spoiled by the time the wheel was fixed. And he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled. As the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, it was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. That's just one of many, many stories he tells. Right now, I have prayers before God that I have not told any of you because I hunger and thirst to see God. See, I believe we can manipulate, and I believe there are people so generous and so kind, if you tell them that you have a need, they may meet it. But it's wonderful going to God privately and not telling anybody else what your need is and asking him to meet that need and watch him provide. Watch your faith grow and sprout and your love for him just be huge. Try that private prayer life. Don't tell anybody else. Again, he wants to make a feast out of nothing for you and me. He also has, makes a feast for the sinner. You know, I think about all of us were sinners, and you know the story of the prodigal son. Now, many people read into that story all kinds of conclusions, but the real story is about the father that represents God's love for Israel and two brothers that represents two different type of Israelites. And... Uh, in Luke 15, verse 2, I believe he talks about or the, the self-righteous leaders were mad at Jesus because he hung around sinners. He didn't hang around sinners and party with them, guys. I hear too many, well, I hang around sinners because, you know, Jesus wants me to hang around sinners. And, you know, how are they going to get saved if I don't hang around with them? He didn't say hang out with them. He said get in and out. In and out. So, anyways... The story goes that the prodigal wanted his inheritance now. How many of you, Jacob, would like to get your inheritance right now at this stage of your life? I mean, just think what you could do with it. You'd probably blow it. That's why God doesn't give us all these things when we're young. My wife always reminds me of that. So he gave him everything, and he went off. What did he do with it? He lived the wild life. Born to be wild. I think that's what he was singing in his mind. And after everything was gone, where was his buddies? He didn't even get to eat what the pigs ate. And he said, listen, you know, my dad has a lot of servants. I'm going to go back and ask my dad to hire me as one of his servants. So we pick up the story in Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. Now, too many people focus on the son. By the way, I believe absolutely he was lost. This is not a person that was living in sin and came back. That's not what I read in the scriptures at all. But it could be. It could be. If you want it to be, that's fine. You have a right to be wrong. <laughs> but it's a person that was lost, contrasted with his other brother who was arrogant and legalistic representing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
So he comes home. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. This is what God will do to you, sinner. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, this is why Jesus is behaving this way. This is why the father is behaving this way. He knew the heart of his son. And now his son confessed it. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, lost, but now he is found. So the party began and his brother was over there envious of him. But you need to see how God wants to provide for you out there. You've never, never accepted him as your savior. You've never said yes. He's willing and he's waiting to welcome you and prepare a feast for every sinner who repent of their sins. Why not today? Reminds me of that song that many of us grew up with. Come home, come home. You how are weary, come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. Can you hear him? He's asking you today, find rest in him. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't want to fix you a box lunch. He wants to fix you a feast. Here's the one you don't want to miss. The feast prepared for the wedding. It's found in Revelation. In fact, if you miss this feast, you've sealed your doom for all eternity. He talks about it in Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. That's the church. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. See, the prodigal is about God inviting you as a sinner. He's giving you a picture. He's not some scary, spooky giant ready to bring condemnation. God said, I'm not here to condemn the world, but to save the world. There's a time coming for condemnation, but the time is not now. The time is open arms. And he said, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. You see, in Matthew 22, he reminds us of this feast. And he said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent servants to notify those who were invited. 
but they refused to come. Billy Graham said one of the greatest harvest fields is in the church. God is inviting you today. Come home. You who are weary, come home. How many more opportunities will he give you before he comes in the clouds for you? And the time will be too late and the door will be shut and you'll knock on the door and it will be too late. In fact, the last point this morning I want to make is the feast where You prepare the feast, and you give the invitation. Wow. Is that true? Absolutely. You see, he's done the inviting. He hung on their cross and said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but has everlasting life. The invitation has been given. He said, invite everybody to the banquet table. Come now. Come today. Don't delay the day of your salvation. While he's knocking, listen, because there'll come a time when he comes a knocking and you will not have ears to hear. But he said to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, this church, he said, I got something against you. You've fallen out of love with me. He said, you're lukewarm. He said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He used to love me. Talk about me. Brag about me. Tell your family about me. Witness to people at work. Read your Bible. Pray regularly. Attend services. You've stopped loving me. He said, Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I, I, I wish you'd be one or the other because too many people are running around scratching their heads. Is Mike Bob, Sue, Mary, are they really a believer? I I can't really tell. At least the firemen, you know who they are. They wear the outfit. A policeman wears the outfit. A nurse wears their outfit. The carpenter wears his outfit with his tools. But the Christian, what does the world see in us? So he said this to them in Revelation 19. Those whom I love, see, he loves you because you loved him. I love, I rebuke, and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, here's the invitation I was telling you about. Remember, he's already invited all of us to the great wedding feast. The only honor I have ever had of a, the biggest wedding I was at was last week. No, it was a good wedding with the Cassidy's. Thank you. It was a beautiful wedding. But I did get to go to Freddie Freeman, the first baseman. We get a card from him, him every year. One, he was one of the highest paid Braves uh, baseball players at that time. And what a banquet. What a feast from one end to the other where all the bridesmaids and the groomsmen were. It was covered probably, we, we think, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 just with flowers alone. Well, you can afford that on a $140 million contract. I think they just traded him to the Dodge, Dodgers, I think, just recently. So I know a little bit about feasts. And I was invited to that in And you kind of brag at things sometimes when you get to go to something special. But everyone, every wedding is special. 
but he's invited you and me to come to this wedding. And a lot of people said no. He said, go out and grab them. Anywhere, grab them. Get them into the, get them into the feast. And his own people would not have him. The gospel now, of course, is for anybody, anywhere in the whole world. But here's what he says to all of us, and perhaps you looking in on this message this morning, and perhaps you're here and present this morning. He said in Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And I think we have a, a picture of someone standing at the door and knocking. Now, I wanted this picture to be up there because this is exactly what he's doing. You see, he's inviting you and me to the wedding feast. He's inviting you and me to sit down at his table, a sign of friendship, companionship. But he's giving you and me the picture. He stands on the outside. There's no handle on the outside. I don't know if there's one in that picture. See, there isn't. There's no handle. The handle's on the inside. You must open the door and say, Jesus, come down and sit with me. It says, it says here in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock in the New Living Translation. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He wants to come in to your life right now. In fact, I remember us singing earlier the song, and I hope I can throw a little wrench in their plans and remember the phrase I will make room I will make room will you this morning whether you're looking in online or present here this morning will you make room will you open the door and make room at the table for the guest that wants to be there right with you but you must willing to say I'm sorry Jesus like David did when Nathaniel confronted him he had he wasn't loving Jehovah like he had been loving him, but he repented of his evil deeds. Or perhaps for the first time, you're opening the door. Sit down with me, Jesus. I want you to be my Savior. Come on in. There is room for you. He already said, there's room at the cross for you. We, we sing that song, remember? There's room at the cross for you. Now you're saying, okay, Jesus, there's room for you at my table. Would you stand at this time with me? We're going to have the old-fashioned invitation for you to come to the front and think about opening that door and saying, Jesus, I, I'm letting you in. I, I want to repent. I, I, I'm going to trust you to provide for me when I have little or have nothing. In fact, this is the time I really want to invite you in for the first time to be my Savior. I, I want to be at that wedding feast. I'm now I'm accepting the invitation. You see, when I went to that wedding of Freddie Freeman, I had to accept the invitation. Many weddings, you have to accept the invitation because they plan for only so many people to eat. In fact, yesterday, we had planned for X amount of girls, and some more girls came out that were hungry, and we had to expand the, uh, you know, the, the menu a little bit more and gather a little bit more to make sure everyone's fed. Open that door make room for Jesus. So Father, as we end now, Psalm 23, remind everyone if they make this decision, goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their lives. And you will take care of them. You'll patch up their, their, their wounds with oil. 
And you'll give them the Holy Spirit that will always be with them, that will sustain them like you did David in the wilderness. Through every valley, through every adversity, when he had things and when he had nothing, he speaks loud and clear to us today. You are our great provider. And you're ready to provide for every single person in this room this morning who will call out to you, whether for the first time or the second time in repentance or in need. Father, please glorify your name as we make room for you. In Jesus' name, we Thanks pray. so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at blcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.